month ago now, just before Easter, and have been progressively working our way through this letter uh, from Paul. And, and so we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and that's what we are going to unpack a little bit this morning. So this is Paul's words to the Ephesians. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for this time to be able to, to, to worship you, to study your word. And God, I pray that the words that I share would be from you, that they would illuminate our hearts and, and that, they would, that you would reveal to us uh, the, the, the path that you want us to walk in, God. God, we're grateful that we have um, opportunities to be able to, to seek after you. Jesus, I thank you for those that, that, that watch, that listen to, to this, this message, that, that they are actively pursuing uh, your truth, Jesus. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. Also want, want to just say thanks to, to Oliver and Karen and the boys for leading us in worship this morning. Grateful that, that we have uh, a church and, and community that, that we can still, uh, in spite of the fact that we are not meeting in person, that we can still worship together uh, in spirit and, and, uh, and, and still be able to participate as the church together. So thank you for that. Also want to, let, want to invite you to, to join us after uh, this message, to, to, jo- to, to jump onto Zoom with us and, and uh, have some conversation, pray together, and, and just reconnect uh, as the church each week. And so would love it if you, if you uh, would like to participate. You're more than welcome to. Uh, if you're not sure how, then feel free to, to contact the church, and we'll make sure that you get added to our, our email list and, and get you plugged in so that you can participate in that as well. As I mentioned, we are going to be uh, journeying through the book of Ephesians. Now, when I started this chapter, or when I started this book uh, in March, uh, I mentioned at the very beginning in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that Paul is, as he's writing these first three chapters, making the effort to help you and I understand the answer to the question, why Jesus? Why should we choose Jesus? Paul unpacks this question through the first three chapters, helping us and helping the people of Ephesus understand the plan that God made for our salvation, as well as the effort that it, took, that it required for that plan to be accomplished. Paul goes on to reveal to us that this plan wasn't just for a few select people, but in fact it was for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. Well, as we approach summertime, it is middle of May, as we approach summer, one of the things I am most excited about is the prospect of camping. Some people hate camping, but I'm one of those people that loves it. As, as we know right now, because of everything with the pandemic happening, camping is one of those things that still is a little bit up in the air. It's kind of a coin flip as to whether it will happen or not. I'm, obviously, I'm hoping that it does happen, but I, I love the fact that when I go camping, that I, that I can breathe in fresh air. I love going fishing. I love the simplicity, the fires, and of course, the food. I love most things about camping, but there is one thing I dislike about camping more than anything else, and it's the dreaded 3 a.m. bathroom call from one of my kids. 
usually at about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, one of my kids usually nudges me and says, Dad, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. And I've, I've learned to stop saying, just your mom will take you. That usually doesn't end well for anyone. Instead, we, we climb out of our sleeping bags in the dark and we begin to grope around for shoes, hoping that the shoes that we find are the ones that belong to our feet. And, and we start looking for our jackets as we shiver in our tent trying to, trying to find a jacket to help warm us back up. The worst part, of course, is, is climbing out of the tent and, and just getting hit with that wall of cold, humid air. And, and as we begin to stumble our way through the dark, darkened path looking for the outhouse, now, the outhouse, of course, is the stuff of nightmares, especially at night. If the path doesn't kill you on the way, then surely whatever is in the outhouse will. And in the dark, it seems like the trees that are blowing in the wind are, are probably just some giant animal that's likely going, there waiting, for, waiting to devour you. Or if you, once you get to the outhouse and whatever horror is inside is probably going to murder you if, the, if whatever's outside doesn't get you first. You suspect that maybe there's probably some sort of spider the size of a house waiting for you in the outhouse or a, or a snake that's, that's just going to devour you whole. The entire 3 a.m. bathroom call is the stuff of nightmares in my opinion. The cure for this problem though is simple. A flashlight or a lantern. Something that allows you to, to illuminate your path and illuminate what is unfamiliar or unknown to you. You hear a sound, you, put a, you, put, you shine a light on it. You, you see movement in the corner of your eye, you point the flashlight on it to see what it is. The light illuminates anything that might seem disorienting and brings clarity to what was unfamiliar. Chapters 1 through 3 illuminate for us the mystery of God. The mystery into the why, the why Jesus. Paul is illuminating the truth of Jesus to the Ephesian church. They're no longer wandering in the dark, but they have clarity with where they are going. But just like a light shining our way to the bathroom, it reveals to us where we should walk or shouldn't walk. It be, the light begins to reveal where it's safe and, and how to proceed. Chapters 4 through 6 are written with that intention. Where the path has been illuminated, it reveals to us how do we move forward now. Chapters 1 through 3 help shape our context for the next steps as you and I follow Jesus. These chapters help us to understand that everything we do as followers of Jesus is born out of everything that Jesus has already done for us. Let me say that again. That everything we do as followers of Jesus is born out of everything Jesus has already done for us. That the path that Paul is pointing us to words in chapters 4, 5, and 6 are a result of the truth that he has illuminated for us in the previous three chapters. As Paul tells us how to live our lives like Christ in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we know that the context that motivates our behavior and our actions because of what Paul has written in the previous three chapters. Now here's why this is important. If Paul just omits the first three chapters and just starts at chapter 4, and that's now the new chapter 1, and he just begins to tell the Ephesians to do these things, and he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, 
all of these directives that are important for us to live out, if we don't have a context, if we don't have a, have a foundation to, as to why this, this list of rules and, and instructions are important, then at best, it's behavior modification. At its worst, it's spiritual bondage and legalism. Paul, though, right at the beginning of chapter 4, reminds us in verse 1 that he is a prisoner of the Lord. Paul continues this theme of captivity where we see it all throughout his writings, all over the place. Where Paul isn't just in jail, but that Paul is in jail because of Jesus. See, Paul has said yes to Jesus, and as a result, he's being imprisoned by Rome. More than that, though, Paul isn't just communicating his location and the setting that he is writing his letters from, but he's communicating where his heart is at, where his motivation lies, where his priorities in his life are. You see, throughout these first eight verses in chapter 4, one of the central themes is around this idea of captivity. Paul understood that, that we can either be captives to our own sin and desires and consequently reject everything that he had just written about in the previous three chapters, or we can embrace it as truth and allow it to illuminate our lives and be captives for Jesus. He is held captive by Jesus, but he is imprisoned by Rome. Now, if you're like me, you might sometimes think, well, I don't want to be captive to anyone or anything. Captivity makes it sound like I'm not in control. I'm not the one calling the shots anymore. I'm not in charge any longer. Unfortunately, though, or fortunately, there's really only two options. We can be held captive to our sin, or we can be held captive by Jesus. One will destroy us and destroy our relationships and erode intimacy and distract us from what's important and ultimately separate us from eternity as we continue to remain in darkness and stumble around in the dark as the path continues to be concealed. The other, of course, is rooted in love and selflessness, rooted in what's best for us and rooted in grace and and actually enhances intimacy with others and with God. It actually begins to reveal to us the right path that we should walk in. And as I said, there's really no other option. So option A or option B, there's no option C. I remember in my first church, I was uh, leading a small group of boys for a, it was a high, it was a high school group. They were about 14, 15 years old, and we were talking about Paul's teaching from Romans, where where Paul was, Paul writes in in Romans chapter eight verses sixteen to uh, sorry Romans six verses sixteen to eighteen. Paul writes, "Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death." or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, in that particular that particular evening, I was actually training another adult who would eventually take over that small group. And and one of the one of the guys that was in the group, he just asked me, he said, he asked me to explain the concept of being a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus. And, and for myself, I was fresh out of Bible college and eager to display all of my wealthy intellect and spiritual wisdom. 
And, I, and so I went into this lengthy soliloquy, this little mini-sermon on, 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 on everything that Paul was trying to say here and, and how it related to the context of that, of that day. And I, I even threw in some Greek words like they actually cared. And, and surely that will bring some clarity to this high school kid. Then thinking I was being gracious, I threw it over to the guy that I was training and I said, Jacob, do you, do you have anything to add? And I, and I remember thinking in my head, in my spiritual arrogance, I think I pretty much nailed that, so I'm pretty sure you don't have anything to add, but, you know, give it a shot. And all he said was this. He said, I don't know much about all the stuff that Ryan just said, but what I know is that I'd rather be a slave to righteousness than to death. I don't know all about this other stuff, but what I do know is that I want to follow Jesus, that I want to follow life, that I want to follow love. I want to be captivated by Jesus. And I think sometimes I, we, get caught up on all the minutia sometimes. And, I, and sometimes we just need to be reminded that it's all about Jesus. That, that man that I, that I led, Jacob, he was a good leader for a long time in that ministry. He loved kids, but most, more importantly, he loved Jesus. Paul, though, tells us in verse 8 that when Jesus ascended, he led a host of captives. That there was a group of people who were under captivity. They had chosen themselves and their sin and were held captive by it. They were, they were choosing to walk in, this, in, the, in the darkness. And they were stumbling around and, and they were captivated by it. They were captured by it. But after Jesus ascended, the light was revealed. And they were captivated by Jesus instead. They saw the, the light of uh, the path that was revealed by Jesus and they chose to walk in that instead. They had seen something in themselves and seen something in Jesus that shifted their loyalties from their sin onto Jesus. Rather than pursuing their own priorities, they chose the priority of, priorities of Jesus that we see Paul lay out for us in verses 2 and 3 where Paul writes, with all humility and gentleness, with, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now although slavery, imprisonment, captivity are, are, are themes we see throughout Paul's writings and especially here, it's actually just a, a, a continuation of, of that same similar themes that we see throughout the Bible where Paul writes in verse 8, says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And it seems like this seemingly ambiguous reference that Paul is pulling out here. What is it? And what does it say? Paul is actually referencing here, referencing here Psalm 68, verse 18. But if we, were, if we were to look at that verse in our translations, it wouldn't actually be a direct quote. Paul, though, if we, were, if, we, if we were to unpack it in the Hebrew, we would see that, that he's actually directly referencing that particular psalm. And I'm going to talk more about that next week as, in the following verses in more detail as we talk about giftings next week. But Paul, though, is actually summarizing an important theme in Scripture. This tension between being held captive by what we want and our sin or being held captive to pursuing what Jesus wants and finding life in what God wants for our lives. The first year that Natalie and I met, we, we would often, it was a summertime, and we would often go for walks in the evenings. 
And we were young and in love, and, and we, would, we felt like we could walk all night and just talk with each other. And, and uh, Natalie and I decided about 10 o'clock that we would go for a, go for a Slurpee at 7-Eleven. And so we'd get our, get our big gulp, and, and uh, we'd go for a walk, and we'd wander around. And I, and it was a, I remember one night, it was a beautiful evening, and, and as we walked around, we got to a pedestrian crosswalk, and I, I hit the button, and, and the pedestrian light started to flash overhead. And, and as we started to cross, it became very apparent very quickly that, that the car that was approaching us from the left had no intention of stopping. He didn't see us. He didn't, he didn't notice us. He didn't see the blinking lights. He, just, he was distracted. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't care. And he, just, he, just, he had no interest in slowing down. Now, in that moment, I had a decision to make. I could, I could just let this, let this infraction slide, or I could impose my, impose my righteous judgment on this and justice on this particular driver. And so I took my slurpee, and I threw it as hard as I could at the car as it drove past. And as the slurpee exploded all over the, all over the car, I knew that he, as he drove off into the distance, he, would, he knew that he had done wrong. Not quite. Instead, he slammed on his brakes, and he started to back up. And immediately in that moment, as soon as I had let go of the, the slurpee, I realized I hadn't resolved this problem. In fact, I had immediately escalated it and made it worse. The person in the car had tinted windows, so I had no idea who was driving. I had no idea how many people were in the vehicle or what was behind the, the, the windows. We had to, and so they started, they started following us. And eventually they started chasing us home. And Natalie and I had to, to duck into back alleys and we had to cut through fields. And, and suddenly we were in this real-life version of Man Tracker or something. And after we got to Natalie's house and the reality of what I had done had set in. First of all, I had wasted my Slurpee, but secondly, me, the guy studying to be a pastor, me, the guy trying to impress this new girl, Natalie, me, this guy claiming to follow Jesus, had made this really stupid decision where it did nothing but make the situation worse. And it reflected something in my heart that made me ashamed. I mean, I had never done anything like that before. But it revealed something in me about my heart. It revealed something that although I loved Jesus, that there was still an immaturity in me that God needed to do some work in. I know that when I get angry, I can, I can burn pretty hot. It doesn't usually come out externally, but inside I know that a volcano is sometimes ready to erupt inside of me. That, there's, that there is still something in me that is still captive, to, captive by sin. And I remember that day being so embarrassed and so ashamed of my actions as we ran away from the scene and from the person in that car. In fact, I, I remember processing it with a friend of mine the, the following days and saying, what do you think that was about? And as we talked about that, and I, t- and I went disc golfing with him last week and I told him about, that I was going to tell this story and that was almost 20 years ago and he said, I remember when that happened. Everything that Paul is speaking about here in this Ephesians 4 passage was missing in that response. Now fast forward now to last week. Again, my family and I were out for a walk just before supper, so it was around 6 o'clock, and each of my kids, all three of my kids were on rollerblades, and I was walking the dog. 
And again, we started to walk through a crosswalk and I hit the button and, and, and all, some of the cars stopped, but again, to the left, almost like deja vu all over again. This car is screaming up the road on, approaching us. And, and it became again very apparent that either he didn't see us, that he was distracted, that he didn't care. And as he started to cross, it became, as he started to approach us, it became obvious that he wasn't going to stop. And so I waved my arms and said, hey, what are you doing? And he just flew right through the intersection, made zero eye contact, didn't even tap his brakes. Missed my family and I by a few feet. And as he turned into the shopper's drug mart, my, the people that were stopped for us just were shocked. And, and, we were, and we, the kids and I and Natalie, we, we, we walked the rest of our way home. And we processed with our kids what, what we had just experienced. And we talked about the importance of why we look both ways. But we also talked about what do we do when someone does harm to us? What does it look like to offer, offer grace when we want revenge? And as we walked home, I, at that point I had resolved that I wouldn't do anything and, and that there was, really wasn't anything I could do anyways. But then I started to think, what if this were to happen to another family with that same driver? But this time they weren't paying attention. What if there was a kid who was trying to cross the street and he just was distracted and he just blew through the intersection and, and they weren't so lucky? So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to jump in my car and I'm going to see if I can find this guy just to have a conversation with him. So I rolled into the parking lot and sure enough, there he was. And he was just sitting there, just hanging out by himself. And I thought that was odd enough, but I, I walked up to him and, and I threw a Slurpee in his face and ran away. No, I didn't do that. Instead, I initiated a conversation with him. I asked him if he had seen us, and he said, no, I, I didn't see you. And so I just said, you know, I, I, would, I, would, I would appreciate it if you could be a little bit more aware of your surroundings while you're driving, and I told him my concerns. And he got defensive, but the more we talked, as we continued to talk, he eventually apologized. Now here's the, here's the point of the, these two stories. Here's the punchline. In the first incident 20 years ago, See, when we are captives to our sin, when we reject the truths that we, re that we just read about in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, it affects us relationally, it affects us spiritually, and it, affects, it even affects us physically as well. In the first incident, I responded in the least Christ-like way possible. Relationally, I became just as responsible for the enmity between us as the guy driving the car. Spiritually, I was filled with shame and fear because I didn't know what he was going to do to, to me or Natalie if we stuck around. But I was also ashamed. I was filled with shame because of my immature response. Physically, we literally had to run from the problems that I created rather than pursue a solution. Now, when we're captive to Jesus, though, rather than running away from a problem that we've created, our life has been illuminated and reveals a path for us to walk in instead. That we actually become pursuers of a solution even when we might be the victims. We become pursuers of humility. We become pursuers of gentleness and patience. We become pursuers of tolerance for one another. Paul understood that in verse 1, that, that when he is imploring the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, 
What Paul is saying here is that that if you and I claim to follow Jesus, if the Jews and Gentiles who claim to follow Jesus, then our lives need to be balanced with that claim, that we need to pursue the character of Christ as much as we claim to be followers of Christ, that there needs to be consistency with our claims as well as our lives, that if Christ did all of these things that Paul has just previously outlined in the previous three chapters, then our lives will respond appropriately to that same love. And it's not just a claim that we are captivated by Jesus, but that we are actually pursuing captivity by Jesus. The world has seen too many Christians whose lives aren't consistent with those claims. People who claim to follow Jesus, but their lives don't reflect that. Now in that incident last week with the driver, I could have left it alone. I could have avoided any sort of potential tension. But I felt like in that particular moment, that as I I wrestled with it, as I prayed about it, that Jesus was actually calling me to pursue, to initiate an act of love. And it was going to be an act of love that I wasn't comfortable with. But I felt like it was one of those moments where I needed to actually pursue love. Now, as I said, when we are captives to sin, it affects us relationally, spiritually, physically. The same, I believe, is true as we are capt- when we are captives of Jesus. Spiritually, after I left that conversation last week with that man, I was encouraged, not so much for him, but for myself. Because I, I remember 20 years earlier when I threw that Slurpee at that car and, and I remember thinking I was so ashamed and then, 20, and then fast forward to last week and, and I thought, I didn't do that this time. I didn't respond the same way. I thought, yay, I'm growing. I'm actually maturing with more than I thought I was. I said yes to Jesus. Relationally, I left that conversation feeling like I carried myself in a manner worthy of the gospel, manner worthy of my calling. I tried to be gentle. I tried to be patient. I tried to be humble. Ultimately, what I tried to do was to walk in the path that Jesus laid for me, to show Jesus through my life. Even physically, though, rather than running from the problem like I did 20 years ago, the opposite response was I pursued a solution instead. I sought out solution. I sought out ways to be like like Christ. I literally had to, to run to righteousness. I drove to righteousness. I had to make an effort. It didn't happen naturally. I didn't say, you know, if I happen to see that guy cross my paths the next week, I'll make sure I mentioned it. I actually had to seek after him. Here's why this is important. Because Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And again, it would have been really easy for me to justify walking up to that guy last week and, and throwing a slurpee at him like I did 20 years ago. But here's the thing. I know that every single day that the amount of grace that I gave to that guy last week is only a fraction of the amount of grace I receive every day from Jesus. That the amount of grace that I gave that guy is only just a a glimpse, it's a shadow of the amount of grace I receive every day from Jesus. I know that, as I said, I I burn pretty hot when I get angry. I know that I naturally am a selfish person. 
I know that I can lack motivation. I know so many of my shortcomings and failures, and, and again, it's only a fraction of what I'm willing to acknowledge or admit. Yet Jesus patiently, gently, humbly calls me back to him and says, he says, Ryan, that, that wasn't okay. We shouldn't do that anymore. Let's reset and try that again. Maybe this time, let's, let's walk in this path instead. Let's choose this path instead. Let's choose the path of love. Let's choose the path of gentleness or patience instead. Let's try the illuminated path of my love. Pursue me rather than yourself, Ryan. And, and I have that conversation daily, almost hour, it seems almost hourly at times. Let's just try that again, Ryan. One more time. If we are captives of Jesus, we constantly pursue Jesus because we know through Jesus there is freedom from a life that leads to death. Rather than walking a path of darkness, rather than stumbling around, tripping on ourselves or different obstacles in life, we walk in a path of light and love. Jesus, though, invites us into an intimacy of followership, intimacy of relationship. If you've ever been in a prison or been to a prison where people are held captive, you know that it's not a pleasant place. It's not a place that's filled with life and, and hope. I remember going to, a, going to jail in Mexico six years ago. And I remember walking in and, and remember think, thinking, this place is so void of life. This place is so, so hollow and, and lifeless and, and there's just nothing I want to be a part of. Now I was part of a missions team and and we did a Bible study with some of the inmates. And as we, as we sat there and as we processed what we were experiencing, we saw just how little hope there was when you were imprisoned. Yet for Paul, who is imprisoned while he's writing this, he recognized that, that as a captive, to G, captive for Jesus, wherever his circumstances took him, that it was this opportunity for him to grow closer to Jesus. It was an opportunity for him to walk in that illuminated path. On a shipwreck? Great, I'll trust in the sovereignty of God. In prison? I'll trust in the providence of the Lord. Facing death? I'll trust in the assurance of my salvation in Jesus. Every opportunity Paul was faced with, he was held captive by Jesus, not his circumstances. He was held captive to Jesus, not his sin. He was held captive to Jesus, not his past. He was held captive to Jesus, not by not his not pandemic or social isolation. So this week, what is it that we can do to pursue captivity by Jesus? Because naturally, most of us avoid it. Most of us actually have to make a willful decision to pursue Jesus, which sounds ridiculous. It sounds dumb that we would say, I'm going to walk in darkness rather than walk in the illuminated path, yet, yet I'm as guilty as anyone. So I want to provide two ways that I think will help us to pursue Jesus this week. One, practice Sabbath. And two, the practice of walking. I think one of the challenges that many of us face during this pandemic and social isolation time, especially when we work from home or school is at home, routine is just totally different than the norm for many of us, is that the days often kind of blend together. And we barely know which day is which. Is it Tuesday or is it Friday? Is it Saturday or is it Sunday? Am I supposed to go back to work tomorrow or I got another day? 
And this, the day seems to look really similar. Each day seems to look, all look really similar to us. But it's, yet it's still so important to our souls that we rest one day a week. Regardless of our age or our circumstances, God calls us to a place of rest on the Sabbath. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 says this. It says, I love this verse. It says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This verse, this verse is a reminder to us that one of the critical benefits of the Sabbath is that it actually helps us to remember that we are not captives to sin any longer. We are no longer slaves in a foreign land or lost in the darkness. That we aren't held captives to our own desires, but instead we are captivated by Jesus. The spiritual practice of Sabbath captures our hearts. It it recalibrates our souls and points us back towards that, that illuminated path that Jesus has laid out for us. For some, Sabbath is, is practiced on a weekend. Saturday, Sunday for myself, my Sabbath is on Monday. For others, though, it starts 6 p.m. one night and then it ends the following day at 6 p.m. Now, I share that because sometimes, I think, sometimes we get a little rigid in practicing Sabbath where we feel like it needs to look and feel and smell and, and look exactly like something that we have prescribed. And, and, and we almost become like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. The Sabbath, though, is an opportunity for us just to be present with Jesus and to pursue, pursue deeper intimacy with him spiritually, relationally, physically. Secondly, the spiritual practice of walking. This summer, there's a book being released by one of my pastors, one of the guys that, that pastors me. His name is Mark Buchanan. He's a professor at Ambrose, but he's written several books. And, and he's, writing this, he's writing a book. He's releasing a book on walking. And this past week, I had the privilege of sitting at a mini lecture where he talked just briefly about this. But it got, it got my wheels turning in my head. And, and, and so the idea that, of walking is, is his idea for sure. But I, some of these concepts, most of these concepts are just out of God's word. And, um, but I wanted to, to acknowledge that first. But, and I, so I, this idea of spiritual practice of walking, I suspect that for many of us, walking is something that's happening more often than not these days. I mean, what else is there to do? Walking, though, whether alone or with someone else, often, though, deepens relation, relational closeness with whoever we're with. If we're with, our, if we're with someone else, we, we typically end up talking to the person. If we're by ourselves, we typically end up talking with Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 tells us that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, there's a lot in that passage, but the, the piece that, that applies that I want to put, extract from that passage is this. That that passage seems to indicate that God actually initiates this, this practice of walking with Adam and Eve. He actually seeks after them to spend time with them. That he's actually the one to, to, to develop the spiritual practice of walking so that he can develop relational intimacy with them. The spiritual practice of walking is this this practice of being present with another person, much more active than if we were just to sit beside each other on a couch and be passive. 
Another practice that we can do while walking is prayer. Whereas we walk, we begin to pray for the people in our communities. Pray for the people that pass us. Pray for the people that almost run us over in the intersections. People who pray for the people, the families that are playing in their yards, or maybe the kids laughing in their backyards. Maybe you pass a church in your community. Pray for the church, for the people of that, of that body of Christ to, to continue to discover God's word, to go deeper in intimacy with Jesus. Pray for your family. Praying while we walk provides, I think, this, this endless opportunities for us to intercede for those around us and, and to pray for those that the Lord brings to mind. Walking in, in the, the, the manner worthy of the Lord isn't simply a concept of living, but it's actually a practice where we actively pursue captivity by Jesus. Now, spiritually, we all walk, don't we? We can either, some of us can walk in the darkness like I walk in the darkness with my kids at the, going to the, the outhouse. We stumble around in the dark. Or, or we can walk in the illuminated path which, with Jesus. And as we do that, we experience the life that Jesus has been waiting for us as his captives. A life rooted in humility and gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another in love, and unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This illuminated path of life and love. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for her. Uh, the path that you have illuminated for us. For the ways that, that you have, have marked a trail for us to, to walk through. You have set the example and you have called us into it. Lord, forgive us when we choose to, to step out of that path and walk in our own way, to, to blaze our own trail. But God, we are grateful for your grace as you continue to invite us, to call us, compel us to return back to your path. Thank you that, there's, there's, that we, can, we can fall off that path as many times as, 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 we, as we possibly can, and yet you still, you still call us and invite us back, that you, your love never fails us. We thank you for your grace. And God, I pray that you continue to, to pour it out on us as we continue to, to seek after you and continue to be captivated by you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.